Good morning, friends. Today's message is One Ministry Fits All, and this comes from Galatians chapter 6. Now, in my 35-plus years of pastoral ministry, I've been asked many times by members and new attenders if there's a ministry that they could somehow perform. Now, because I did not always know their spiritual gifts or their experience or their training or even their background, I often did not always know what to say. But over the years, I discovered one ministry that any believer, any Christ follower can perform, and it doesn't really require special training. It's called Bearing One Another's Burdens. If you have the heart and the time and the desire, you can be a burden bearer for those in need. And in Galatians chapter 6, Paul explains two ways we can bear the burdens of those around us. And so this morning as we study this text, keep in mind that these ministries are not reserved only for leaders or pastors or elders or teachers. If you love the Lord and if you're willing and desirous to get involved, if you're willing to take a risk, you can be a burden bearer for Jesus. Well, here's ministry number one. It's called Restoring the Fallen. In Galatians 6 verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, I love Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message, and he translates this verse this way. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. I like that. I mean, who are these fallen people? And how can we help them? Well, this verse gives us four answers to that question. Uh, One of these groups is people who are trapped by sin. Now, the word caught was sometimes used for a bird or an animal caught in a trap. It describes a believer who is suddenly overcome by some temptation that comes upon him kind of unawares. A perfect example of this is Peter, who after boasting that he would never desert the Lord, denied him three times. So it's kind of a picture of a believer whose leg is caught in the trap of sin. I mean, the bone is broken, the person is trapped, no hope of escape. Now, what will you do when you hear your brother or your sister crying for help? Will you walk away or will you come and help them? Well, the second thing that Paul talks about here, uh, you know, how we can do this, is it requires the help of spiritual people. Now, the phrase in that verse says, you who are spiritual, and in this context describes those who are walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, uh, producing and living the fruit of the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, since this is not meant to describe a certain class of super spiritual saints, it really applies to everyone who loves the Lord and wants to please Him. So truly spiritual Christians would never use that term to describe themselves, but the mark of their spirituality is that they're alarmed at what sin has done to a brother or sister in Jesus. Instead of walking on by, they stop to help. I kind of picture a vast army of the Lord's servants marching along together, laughing and singing as they go. And as you march with this happy band, you've got friends to your right, friends to your left, and together you sing, shout to the Lord and You know, our God is an awesome God, or whatever song you like to sing. But suddenly you notice the friend to your right is no longer there. And looking back, you see him lying by the side of the road, his foot badly mangled by a trap labeled lust. His face is contorted in pain, his left leg covered with blood. You can see that he cannot free himself, and with pitiful cries, he begs you to come and help him. Now, what are you going to do? 
I mean, the army is marching onward. Will you go back and help your friend? Or will you just keep on walking with the happy throng? Well, I'm going to suggest to you that if you are truly spiritual, you'll go back and help your friend, for that is what friends do for one another. The third thing Paul says here is they need to be gently restored. Now, the word restore was used for setting a bone or mending a fishnet. If you've never broken a bone, you know how painful that can be. And if the doctor is rough, he can make your pain a whole lot worse, even as he tries to help you heal. That's why the work of spiritual restoration must be done gently. Or as the King James Version says, meekly. It has the idea of doing something quickly, quietly, and with enormous kindness. When a friend is down and hurt by sin, you don't announce it to the entire world, the entire congregation, your entire family. You, you don't try to ruin their reputation. Instead, you go to his aid and you do what you can to help him recover. Now, the fourth thing that Paul suggests in this text is these people need to be approached carefully. And this is a warning that we all need to consider. Paul says that we should be careful in our helping lest we should fall into the same hole as our friend. Well, let's be honest here, friends. Satan is tricky. He knows that if he can get one Christian trapped in sin, he may soon get another and then another and another. You know how that goes. I mean, that's why doctors wash their hands so often. That's why we've been told in the last COVID years and a half to do the same. I mean, not only must they avoid giving germs to their patients, they must also guard against receiving germs from their patients. Now, in our attempts to help struggling Christians, we need to be careful unless we start making excuses or offering rationalizations or avoiding confrontation or letting sympathy replace truth. Now, before we leave this noble ministry, I should note that Paul does not specify the sins involved, and he doesn't specify the precise pattern we are to follow. This verse simply describes a willingness to get involved with other people and the attitudes that best promote healing and restoration. The precise details and the time involved will vary from case to case and from person to person. I mean, just as there is no one medicine that cures all diseases, there's no magic formula that works in every case. Now, we're called to care enough to get involved and to act in a compassionate, careful way. And the Lord can lead us if we'll do those, those things. Well, here's the second ministry, and that's helping the hurting. That's in verses 2 through 5. This is a bit broader in that it includes restoring the fallen, but goes on to include ministering to those people who are hurting for any reason. See, when we see a friend burdened with the problems or the cares or the pressures of life, we're to drop what we're doing and go to their aid. Well, first, there is the need to bear the burden of others. Paul writes in verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Now, the burden of this verse refers to kind of an overwhelming load, an impossibly huge boulder weighing you down as you kind of stagger along the highway of life. Now, this boulder, well, it could represent any number of things. I mean, sickness, uh, sudden calamity, personal loss, financial difficulty, broken dreams, maybe a failed or a failing marriage or family problems or career setbacks or the death of a loved one. And I find it significant that Paul doesn't focus on what the burden is or where it comes from. This doesn't seem to matter. What matters is that when you see a brother or sister staggering under a heavy load, you drop what you're doing and you go and help them bear the load. And instead of judging them, you help them by doing whatever you can for as long as you can. 
Now, some of you might say, well, <laughs> this is going to slow me down. Yeah, it will. And if getting to the finish line first is your goal in life, then you're not going to bother to bear very many burdens. But if helping the hurting is part of your vision of Christian discipleship, then for you, bearing burdens is not a distraction. It's at the heart and core of what it means to follow Jesus. And that brings us to a pretty crucial principle. In every situation, do what Jesus would do. Paul says, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Theologians debate this verse because Paul has said it over and over again that we are not under the law, meaning keeping the law of Moses as a way of gaining God's favor. So what is this law of Christ? Well, it probably refers to Jesus' call to love God supremely and to love our neighbors as ourselves, as Matthew writes in the 22nd chapter. So as you're marching through life and as you see others falling around you and as you come upon those people who are suffering from who knows what, ask yourself the question, which has become so famous, what would Jesus do? Well, in almost every circumstance, in every instance, the answer will not be, just keep on marching. Almost every time the answer will be, you know, Jesus would make a difference in this situation. He'd be there. He'd care. He'd minister the love and grace and mercy of God. Well, Paul next mentions a danger we should all consider. <clears throat> See, when you see a brother or sister suffering, don't be too proud to get involved. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 6, he writes, If anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. You know, friends, it's extremely easy to look down your nose and say, Yeah, they deserve it, or yeah, she's so weak, or... You know, he just can't handle the pressure, or I saw it coming, or well, maybe they'll listen to me next time, or I don't want to get involved. I'm just glad it's them and not me. I know I'd never do anything like that. Oh, boy, how quick we are to condemn, to look the other way, to pass by on the other side. And Paul puts his finger here on the problem. The problem is called personal pride. If you think you're someone special then you're going to find it easy to condemn other people. But if you think that you are a nobody apart from the grace of God, then you will be quick to forgive and ready to help the hurting. Now, maybe we can kind of rephrase that a bit. I mean, the reason often that we find it easy to condemn is because we've kind of got an inflated opinion of our own importance. If we were more conscious of our own sin, we would be far more forgiving of the weakness and failures of others. So before we condemn or criticize Go take a good, hard, long look in the mirror. We are not as hot as we think we are. And our hurting friends are not as bad as we think they are. Well, finally, there's a test for all of us. It says, am I doing my part? I mean, Paul says in verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. Well, in old, older translations of the Bible, the word burden is found in verse 2 and in verse 5, leading some to think there was a contradiction in this passage. Well, the, the New International Version kind of solves the problem by using burden in verse 2 and load in verse 5. <clears throat> and that, that's pretty appropriate because Paul actually uses two different Greek words here. The word in verse 2 refers to an overwhelming burden that we can't carry by ourselves. And the word in verse 5 describes kind of a soldier's backpack. It's something smaller and lighter that every person can carry. It is the difference between a backpack and a boulder. 
We all have our backpack, backpack we must carry, but Jesus said his burden is light. Now, one reason the backpack is light is so that as we travel, we have the strength to stop and help those struggling under enormous loads. I mean, if today your burden seems light to you, don't think that God intends you to go skipping and singing all the way to heaven. <laughs> you know, Open your eyes, look around you, find someone who needs the help only you can give and then lend a hand. Now, the message of our text can be summarized this way. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. I mean, God never calls any of us to do it all. I mean, Superman is only a comic book character. But that does not excuse us from doing what we can when we can. Can't do everything, but there's always something you can do. Now, there's kind of a message. Maybe we call it an email from the Lord today for everyone who hears this message. It kind of goes like this. It's addressed to my people who are called by my name, others. Signed, Jesus. Let's think about that for a moment. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. That's John fifteen thirteen. And this is what Jesus did when, as the Son of God in human flesh, he died on the cross, taking our place, died in our stead, paid the price for our sins, took the death we should have died, turned away God's wrath, set us free, and opened the door to heaven for us. There's no greater love than that. Friends, Jesus died as he lived. He lived for others. And may God help us to follow in his steps. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, forgive us for our callous indifference to the hurting people we see every day. Give us missionary eyes to see those who need a touch of healing grace. Make us burden bearers who are not ashamed to help those who struggle under a heavy load. And then leave the results to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless.